Welcome to Open Studios, a podcast brought to you by PerformView, the digital home for experimental performance. My name is Asia Stewart. I'm a performance artist and the founding artistic director of PerformView. I'll also be your host. In every episode, I'll be sitting down with a different artist to take a virtual step inside their studio to learn more about their practice and motivations. And in this episode, I am so excited and so happy to be speaking with Sarah Cameron Sunde. Sarah Cameron Sunde is an interdisciplinary artist who works at the intersection of performance, video, and socially engaged public art. She creates site-specific live performance works and video works that stretch time and encourage participants and the public to feel the size and scale of their bodies in relationship with the surrounding environment. Today, Sarah and I will be discussing her incredible project, 36.5, A Durational Performance with the Sea, a series of nine site-specific performances and video artworks made in collaboration with communities around the world. In each performance, Sarah and community members stand silently in a body of water for a full tide cycle that lasts from 12 to 13 hours. Over this period of time, the water rises to almost engulf participants and later recedes back to low tide. On the day that we are recording this episode, we are approaching the one-year anniversary of the final performance of 36.5, A Durational Performance with the Sea, in the New York Estuary on September 14th, 2022. On that day, 175 people joined Sarah in the water at the estuary, and the performance was live-streamed around the city, while satellite performances happened around the world. Thank you for coming on to the Open Studios podcast, Sarah. How are you feeling today? And how are you feeling about the coming anniversary? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be in conversation with you all. And um, yeah, I'm feeling okay a little bit. Um, you know, it's I think it's a, it's a moment to mark what happened last year and to to try to experiment with a few things moving forward. Um, I'm probably leaving a few too many things to the last minute, but it's kind of like a low key, you know, it's a low key event. So I've been texting with my collaborators around the world today being like, Hey, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to show up. Are you going to stand in some water with me or meet me, meet me in the water um, in that way? So I don't know. Like it's, it's very last year's event was so big and so I've been recovering from that all year and then this just feels like um what I'm doing on Thursday we're gathering at the cove with some of the key folks from who participated last year and then but it's open to anyone who wants to come by and I'll do a couple mini stands um for about an hour or so each one of them happening at, during the hour and 10 minutes when last year all I was with my teams in Netherlands, Bangladesh, Brazil, Kenya, Aotearoa, New Zealand, all five um, international locations. Um, we were all, it's the hour and 10 minutes when we were all standing together um, in the water. And that was for me, probably it was one of the most powerful, well, if not the most powerful moment of or hour and 10 minutes of the performance was just knowing that we were all there together. So trying to reenact that, remember that, hold it in my body in some way. Yeah, it's a weird, it's kind of a weird place to be because, you know, the, the series is 
done, but then it lives, it's, I'm still trying to figure out how it lives on, you know, it's all a little bit of an experiment. Yeah. Well, especially because you have so many different forms of video documentation of the various iterations of 36.5. I just think because that was my sort of my entry into, into this project was seeing some of the video works online and being so moved by watching collective of, of people come together to stand so stoically looking out into the horizon. The way that the work is really built in collaboration with, with the water, with the environment. Yeah. It's, it's great that there are these different sort of reverberations or afterlives of the original uh, activation. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting to think about actually in relationship to performance, because I so I created the works to be these two, I always thought of it as creating two autonomous works of art on the same day, like one was the participatory performance, which is experienced by the people who are live um, and present and standing in water. And then the other is this video artwork that will have this incredibly long life. And I have always felt like, oh, like all the people that I've met, I met you after I did this performance, the last one. And I've I, the, oh, this whole year I've been like, oh, I wish I could invite you to the performance because I know that the live thing is like the real deal, you know, it's the, and, and there's the duration of it is, is what's important. And I've thought, oh man, there's people I'm going to meet in my life and they're never going to get to experience this. Or I've been sad for that, you know, but then I've let go of it. I've started to think the new thing that's happening for me is that I've, I've been thinking about how does the work live beyond my body? Because I know I'm done with those people ask all the time, like, oh, where are you going to stand next? And as if it's a simple thing. And I'm like, nope, I'm done. Like, this series is really complete. But there are so many people who find resonance with it. And I've, I've tried this a couple times. I've had, um, I've had a couple people who, you know, have wanted to experience it somehow. So I've given them instructions on what to do and given them the simple kind of my simple prompts and told them to to go out there and do it on their own at a certain time of day and then report back to me. And I've had some pretty profound responses to that. And nobody's standing for the whole title cycle, but they're doing it for a couple hours or, you know, an hour or so and ha are having some real profound moments with that. So then part of me is like, oh, it's okay to let it grow into this other place. And even if someone's doing it on their own, if they know that they're participating in this project as a whole, you can still feel that collective experience, even if it's not at the same moment in time that we all stood in the water, you know? I think that's really exciting because the work then becomes this ongoing event This this that's not marked or linked to any specific time or place. It can just continue. And what you're you're allowing people to do is to enter this work through almost by acquiring this like type of felt knowledge, by giving the instructions and giving almost a score, giving the, the tools where you can go out to your local body of water and enter the water and stand for you know any period of time that you feel comfortable to do so. And by feeling the water and interacting with the water in that way, they are accessing this like wider pool of knowledge or of like there's something very sensorial and tactile about that. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, when you described one of your first experiences 
experiences of going to stand in the water by yourself. I think this is probably when you were up in Maine uh, many mm-hmm. years ago. And you said that you felt like you you felt connected to more people. You felt connected to other parts of the world just by standing in the water. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think it, it's, it's really cool that other people can mm-hmm. get access to that or, or gain entry into the work that in a way that is really personal for them mm-hmm. um, by doing it themselves. Yeah, that's true. That's a, Thank you for bringing that up, actually, because that's interesting in terms of thinking about... I'm, I'm sort of like on the fence about how detailed to be with the instructions or the score, because yeah, there's things that I have learned that I sort of want to share, but then there's another... It's more like, oh, how do I just get it so that they feel it? Yeah, you kind of can't help but feel something if you stand in water. It's a, it's a strange thing. It's like, it's just something that, you know, we don't usually do. People are usually swimming or playing in water but standing in water for a long period of time is something that doesn't really happen and long enough to feel a shift so my entire goal in making this work has been how do I invite people into this experience with me because it it is profound I want to go back to the beginning uh to a time before you had even conceptualized the project that would become 36.5 a durational performance of the sea So Hurricane Sandy hit New York City and the eastern seaboard in October 2012, causing unprecedented levels of damage and destruction. And I remember at the time when Hurricane Sandy hit, I was in high school on Long Island, and a lot of my friends actually had their homes swept away. Mm. Uh, My high school was turned into a shelter uh, for Mm. a week, and really life kind of came to a standstill in the days and weeks after landfall. Mm -hmm. And it was after Hurricane Sandy hit New York that you realized that the city could disappear within your lifetime. And in the storm's wake, you had physical evidence of how vulnerable our cities and towns are to sea level rise and extreme weather. It's it's been a long time since Hurricane Sandy hit, Mm. but Can you remember how you felt in the aftermath of the hurricane and how you felt moved to use art to respond to the disaster? I remember it pretty well because there are these like kind of pivotal moments that shifted my own perspective. My husband is actually a water engineer. I don't always tell this story, but he's a water engineer. And he had said to me before, he's from the Netherlands. And he had said to me before, like a few years before Hurricane Sandy, we weren't married at the time. He said, you know, New York is really vulnerable to the water, right? And I was like, whatever, you know, we're invincible. I really did not pay much attention to what he was saying because I I just have always thought of New York as being so powerful. And then Hurricane Sandy happened and I saw, I witnessed it and I understood what he was talking about about the water really is all powerful. So that became this moment of of understanding and seeing the problem. Like I didn't see it before then. At the time I had been working on this other project about survival as an artist. And I kept on imagining this little artist running around the city trying to make ends meet. And the city is just sinking beneath her feet. I was trying to work that into this other piece I was making with my collaborators. And so I was working on that idea and I kept on thinking about this metaphor. I was like, there's a, there's a parallel here 
between the struggle to survive as an artist or any individual really on a daily basis, and then the struggle for humanity to survive in the face of the climate crisis and what's happening and sea level rise and extreme weather events. And it really was this sea level rise that I was really kind of marinating on and thinking about that in terms of time and um yeah and it just I just kept it really took it was it was nine months you know <laughs> of of thinking and working on the idea I knew when I sort of had this aha moment in Maine and realized that the tides could be a metaphor I I was like oh that's that's it I live for those moments where you like you're searching 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 and you're and then you you land on it and you know that's what you have to do you know it's interesting how that was such a different time you know we have come a long way in terms of the climate crisis people have taken it in in a really different way I used to see people in 2013 and 14 in the beginning I would see people's eyes glaze over if I said the words you know sea level rise or climate change I took that out of my language actually and now now and I was curious also like okay where will we be you know if I commit to this series and give myself seven years which turned into nine years like where will we be as a community all these years down the road um, will we be in a better place questionable but but at least there's more people paying attention now you know well I think it's so much harder to deny the reality that our world is changing, our planet's changing, and that, you know, climate crisis is real. Yeah. Uh, when you first began uh, 36.5, there are people who would still would have said that the climate crisis, climate change is is abstract, it's distant, it's, mm-hmm. it's um, out of reach, it's, and it's not in any way coming close to or threatening their bodies, um, mm-hmm. which really wasn't true at that time, and certainly is not true now. And the, you know, the, the reality of our, our changing world, our changing environment, our changing planet is something that we're really forced to reckon with and confront with on a regular basis, yeah. no matter where we live now. It's a conversation I think it's happening in, in many more spaces, in many more ways now than perhaps it was when yeah. he first began. Yeah, definitely. It's still challenging. I still think it's pretty abstract for a lot of people, but but it's definitely more on the forefront. And the, yeah, the number of people who are caring and thinking about it is hugely changed. And I think that that's, sometimes I talk about the project as that, that like, what I am trying to do is make the abstract concrete for people. Like that's what the giving the experience of standing in the water is about, is how do we feel the shift? the change on our bodies because we can talk about it intellectually till we're blue in the face but if we don't feel it in our bodies how are we gonna actually make a change you know what have you learned from the water or what have you felt um or or learned or realized yeah I mean it's so interesting right because it's so simple and it's so complex I have learned to have uh deep respect for the water and to think of water as a being rather than as a resource or an object. I mean, it comes from both the experience of standing in the water and then also the experience that I've had with many of my collaborators around the world who have um, indigenous wisdom that they've grown up with and they understand water and their shoreline and what's happening and and really um, have taught me our 
ocean is is alive and um and must be cared for and respected and that we have a responsibility to reciprocate everything that water gives to us that the ocean gives to us also just this idea that it's everywhere it's part it you know it's the the phrase water is life that that is so real and you know the impulse that the project began with of how do we think how do we reconfigure rejigger our relationship with water because in new york we're not we weren't paying attention you know probably a lot of us need to rejigger our relationship and and understand that we are surrounded by water and we are not as humans the most powerful thing and how do we do we have reverence and respect i can just imagine how humbling it would be to stand alone or even join joined by others but to just look out at the vastness of 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 the water i definitely want to i want to try to come on on thursday <laughs> okay good yes i want you to come and stand with me for a little bit you'll get it i feel like you'll get it <laughs> yeah well that's the thing that you mentioned this like when I was in Maine and that first time, it was, I think, you know, we know, we know intellectually that we're all connected through the water, but then you feel it in your body in a really different way if you're still in the water for an extended period of time. It's powerful. It's powerful to realize how, how connected we are all from an embodied perspective, not just in our brains, you know. And I feel like there's this beautiful message of survival or endurance. When I have looked at videos of, of the performance and you, you see the tide come in and you see the water rise, but eventually time goes by and the water does recede and, and all of the participants emerge. The cycle is important, I think. I had a, some people who said to me, well, why don't you just get out when it, gets, when it goes high? Because isn't that the climax or isn't that your point? And I'm like... No, because it's actually it's about how do we um, stay humble and get through something. To me, it couldn't it wouldn't work to not go through a full cycle and that reveal the reveal of the body after having lived through this immensity is really important. There's like a little bit of hope there. You emerge changed when you leave the water. Yeah, and yeah, every way. Yeah. So I know that you've performed uh, and been involved in so many different iterations of 36.5 around the world uh, in the Netherlands, Bangladesh, Brazil, Kenya, New Zealand, Mexico, San Francisco, and of course, New York. It's occurred in so many different places. I'm just curious, how did you begin the process of, of forming connections with community members who lived you know, in so many places around the world? And what did that process look like of building and, 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 and performing 36.5 with them. Yeah, well, each work has its own long story <laughs> of how it came to be. Um, so I can, I can tell you, um, if you want to name a place, I can tell you the story of that one. Maybe uh, Brazil. <laughs> Brazil, great. Yeah, so the, I mean, it all begins or began every time it was like oh I had a, an idea that okay I have to go somewhere in the world uh, or you know I was trying to do it on once on each continent or in a body of water off of each continent so Brazil was a place that I had thought about because I had worked um, I had actually directed the U.S. premiere of a of a play by Nelson Rodriguez in 2006 that was or 2005 that was 
I had learned a lot about Brazil, so was very interested, never had been there. Um, and, but I really, I talked to a couple people, people hooked it, it always about connections. Like, who do I know that could get me to somewhere where I could actually get an invitation to come? Because as an American artist, I don't ever want to just show up somewhere. Um, but I want, you know, it feels really important to make the connections and slowly build those relationships and then figure out how to how to make it happen. And then in Brazil, it was through a, a colleague who connected me with a friend who connected me with a friend. I met this artist, Bel Borba, who is um, a street artist in Salvador. And he, we got on the phone and he was like, you must come here. You must meet Yemenja. Like, and he was just very enthusiastic and really, um, he's like, I can introduce you to everybody. And so Belle was really the first person who convinced me that I should go to Brazil. So this was the one time where I did, um, I went down to do a research trip before I did the work. So, but it was only a couple months before. So I, I went down in late January and early February. It was important to show up in order to make something happen. So I went down for the celebration of Yemen Ja, which is in early February. Because I was going there, I met Adriana, who is the, she was the chief officer of resilience for the city of Salvador through another connection of mine from the Netherlands. And I met Clara uh, Dominguez, who became my dear core collaborator through an artist who I knew in New York, who was Brazilian. And so I just, it, it, it really was a process of just, okay, I'm going to Brazil. Who else do I know that might be able to connect me to people who could be interested? Once there's some energy behind something, you really can make stuff happen if you, if you try. Because there, there's always just a few degrees of connection and you can, you can meet lots of people. So anyway, so a long story, but um, I just met that first trip I just met lots of people and then understood like okay here's the team and we're going to come back in two months and actually make it happen and then the, the team just grows every time the team has started with like a couple core people and then it just has grown 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 it, it it's like it's a it's a metaphor for the the rhizomatic nature of the project as well I remember how we would we had to take taxis um, or Ubers there a lot because of um, the safety factor. But um, Clara would get in the Uber to go from from the shore where we were to, to where we were staying. And she would just start telling everybody about the project. And that was one of my favorite things was realizing also how, you know, part of me was really sad. I, I did a little uh, Portuguese on Duolingo, but I really couldn't speak the language. And sometimes that would make me sad. Like, I, oh, I don't understand what everyone's saying. But then another part of me thought that this was actually great because it meant that my collaborators took ownership of the work and they were in control of what the story was to their community, which is really important, you know, that it's, it wasn't just me doing this thing. It was us. We were all doing it together. That was really powerful and really important. So it was always, the thing was always finding the people who really wanted to invest in it and do it with me. And then once that happened, it wasn't easy ever, but it was, it was possible. I always had faith we could make it happen. It's astonishing to think about all of the the ways that this project has like extends like beyond and 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 from you and and just it's just so wonderful also to look at the different iterations of thirty six point five 
that have occurred around the world and how in every location there's a different way that that others are sort of like entering into into the space, into the water and the different um, creative uh, works that have happened alongside it, the, the music and the meditations and the ceremony. It's facilitated these different types of gatherings that have occurred uh, in so many places. That's really special. Yeah, it's interesting how each one kind of, each work was a work in itself. It wasn't just a like, oh, Oh, you know, go there and do it again, right? Because it is so site specific. And so, for example, in Brazil, the team I was working with, there was a lot of that that initial impulse that I had actually about the struggle to survive on a daily basis. Like that was real for a lot of the people that I was working with down there. The poetry group, Preta Shuhua, um, that I still am in contact with, they made it very clear to me that, you know, there was a lot at stake for them every single day. So we really looked at that and the poetry that they performed to mark the passing of each hour, they became the human clock, uh, or they performed the human clock interventions that became about that resilience, you know, how do we survive on a daily basis and also think about this planet. When I think about um, each different work, and this is not always... You can't always see it in the video works, which is part of why I'm trying to, my, my uh, collaborator, Yuna Chowdhury, and I are trying to write a book because there's so many more stories that are kind of just living in my body that are, or in the memories of myself and my collaborators, but I'm trying to record it before I forget. There's so, so many deep, complex moments that I don't want to lose, you know? I think it's so necessary to almost find a way to transform or record, you know, nine or 10 years of, of your life and of all these different interventions mm-hmm. and to have that be recorded as this this history. I think so. I mean, I'm, I don't always enjoy writing. So this is, it's been, I, I need a reason. I need someone to tell me I have to do it in order to do it. But, um, but I think it's in also the archive and the gathering of of materials and stuff. So I have to just think of it as part of the fun, creative project. And it is interesting what something you said earlier made me think about how, you know, so much of the project is communication and the connections and the building, you know, it's, it, it's building slowly towards this kind of epic moment or day. And that that is, I mean, there's so much I, I probably have, I have a lot of archival materials. <laughs> I can only imagine. It's just overwhelming. (laughs) So you said in a recent talk at the World Economic Forum meeting of new champions in China that 36.5, a durational performance of the sea, almost functions as a rehearsal for the coming discomforts that humans will experience as the water continues to rise. Uh, How do you think we'll learn to live beside the water as our planet continues to change? Shout out to Yuna Chowdhury, who is um, an amazing eco-critic scholar, Dean Prefanities at NYU, who I think started introducing the phrase rehearsal um, into into our dialogue. She's been a wonderful thinker with me um, in this work since 2017. I think that as we, I think we just have to figure out how to adapt. And the first step towards adaptation really is coming to understand and respect the water in a different way than we do now as a society as a whole. I think a lot of individuals have deep respect for the water and, and deep understanding, but it's how do we get that into the systems that are 
are oppressing us all in so many ways. That's why I'm interested in policy shift and how artists can be at the table, even though it's sort of tedious. When people are just talking policy, I really can't handle it. But um, <laughs> but I really love it when you can see someone who works in a different field connect to the work from an artistic lens. I think we just, we just as artists, we have to keep doing work. We need all of us <laughs> making work that has that respect for, um, for place. I think that's what's been so profound for me about working with the folks who are Indigenous around the world. These core ideas of gratitude and respect for where you are, asking permissions before you take something, reciprocity, if you take something, give something back. I think if we, if we, can, in, if we can live into, breathe into those ideas, then we might have a chance, you know, at reimagining our society. And, and just, but just like recognize, I think so many in this capitalistic world we live in, so many people think, oh, well, we can't, how are we going to get out of this? You know, how can we change the systems? And we just have to change the systems. And there's great examples. We just have to look to our indigenous leaders all over who have the resilience and the the mindset that is, is so needed. Finding creative ways to live with the water and and listening to those that wisdom of of respecting and uh, gratitude and reciprocity it's it's all it's very simple and yet very complex but i think that's the key i really do you know we touched on hope a little bit earlier but mm -hmm. what gives you hope in the midst of the climate crisis that we're all living through what gives you hope um, to continue the work that you're doing and, and to continue sharing 36.5 in so many different ways with people. I think what keeps me going is people's responses. You know, I'm a sucker for an audience, I guess. <laughs> I, I never intended to actually perform this work. You know, I was a director before I did this and I had made a lot of abstract work that, you know, some people really loved and some people didn't get at all. And so there's something for me about with this work, it's been really, I mean, just seeing how it keeps growing and people keep bringing new ideas to it. And it's open enough that it kind of can keep resonating in that way. For people that gives me hope, like having the responses continue and getting that feedback feels important to me. Uh, well, I am so grateful to have been able to, I don't know, come into the work, uh, you know, many, many years later, but, but still, okay. uh, you know, I've, I found it all so, so very moving and I, I'm very excited to, to stand in the water myself in, Yay! in, in a few days. <laughs> and, um, I guess in closing, I wanted to ask you if there's anything else. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> there's a whole book worth of, yeah. of, of things probably to share about through 6.5, but if there's anything else you'd like to leave us with um, as we close this conversation and also just to let audiences know where they can learn more about you and your work and also 36.5, uh, Durational Performance of the Sea. I studied theater at UCLA, and but I was mostly a director for the first 10 years of my career and then kind of moved towards 
um, visual art performance or thinking about that performance from a visual art perspective, but initially as a director and creator of large scale works. And then it's only because I had to do this performance that I became a performance artist. And I still feel kind of funny about that title because I don't necessarily know if I'll ever do other performance work where that are that is my body. I probably will. I have a couple of things in the works. But the thing that I realized, um, and this was actually with a couple other artists who were um, on Perform Boo, uh, Veronica and Goodwin and Reagan and Marilyn Ansem, who's amazing. Um, we were all at the symposium and I realized that the important thing for me about performance is that I'm trying to decenter the human um, experience, even though, of course, it's, of course, we're always going to recognize our humanity through it. But the images that I'm creating are about the rest of the environment. It's about in 36.5. It's about the water and how little we are really in the scale of things. And so that is an interesting I think I'm I'm just excited about that realization because I feel like it gives me a way to talk about performance that is different um, or like I, I have a, a little bit of a mission with that in a different perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah. That, that absolutely does. And we're decentering the human experience. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the idea that a performance can be any, any series of actions of any scale or type, and mm -hmm. there are these interventions that, that, that can occur. And then, yes, the, the project website is 36pt5.org, if anyone wants to check it out. My other regular artist website is sarahcamonsunde.com. I have a big plan for a big exhibition that I need to convince someone to produce for me <laughs> um, with, you know, the six durational video works in a two channel each. So a huge 12 channel um, video installation is what I'm hoping for, planning on for the future. Um, and then writing, working on this book, like I mentioned, and then I'm, I'm rich. I'm now also finally after this year of recovery, um, kind of returning to a couple of my old, older projects and finding new chapters for them and starting a few new things too. So it's, yeah, there's lots going on. It's, it's a busy time. And I'm really excited to be on this platform. It's amazing what you you guys have created and really um, exciting. It's such a such a great space. So thank you. Thank you. And yeah, we're we're excited to be navigating this adventure with you. And I'm very very excited to see all of the the, the coming projects that that you've hinted at. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. And I hope that everyone's listening will take this as an invitation uh, to go stand in a body of water near them sometime yes. soon. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. And if you want specific instructions, check out. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably be posting some stuff on social media, but you can always reach out to me as well. Um, I'll be, I'm working on that. So yes, anyone who's listening, get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. This episode of Open Studios was produced by me, Asia Stewart. If you are interested in watching incredible performance work, I highly recommend that you check out PerformView. Head to www.performview.com. <laughs>